This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 153 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest today is Nick Kale. He's Chief Technology Officer at Aracom Software, a company that provides secure web isolation and remote application access software and cloud services. In our conversation, Nick Kale shares his professional journey, including the important lessons his experience in the U.S. military have provided. We'll learn about his leadership style, his take on threat intelligence, what he looks for when hiring, as well as his approach to his day-to-day responsibilities at Aracom Software. Stay with us. Yeah, it's been an interesting one. You know, I started off, um, you know, out of uh, high school and college, actually uh, left college a little bit early, joined the United States Marine Corps, um, spent eight years in the Marine Corps, got to travel the world and and do some interesting things that way, but uh, nothing really IT related, although uh, very security minded, right? Uh, Both physical and logical security. And, you know, now that I'm in the security industry, I see that a lot of it translates, but uh, from the Marine Corps, when I got out, um, you know, landed in the wide area networking uh, space. And so I worked for a lot of the telco companies, uh, Global Crossing, British Telecom, Infonet, a few of those companies providing global wide area network services. So I was doing a lot of engineering work, building out networks for uh, organizations uh, that yeah. were global. And in about 19, uh, well, let's see, it was about 1999, I got a call from one of the customers that said, hey, we bought this thing, it's called a firewall, and and we want to install it, and we don't really have anybody on board that knows how to install it or, or deal with it, could you help us? And I literally went home that night and read the uh, Checkpoint Firewall 1 uh, manual and firewalls for dummies, and and uh, did an install for the customer. Everything went great. And then I was actually given an offer to move over to our security team after that. So uh, made a move into the security team and uh, started working a lot uh, with managed security services uh, in the in the early days of it. And, uh, and then from there, that was while I was still with British Telecom, actually. And then when I left British Telecom, I went to Symantec, where um, that was about 2009. So I, I spent uh, about four years as part of what, uh, the CTO's office for security in Symantec, the first run there. Um, left Symantec, went to a startup that you might know of, Zscaler. I was employee, sure. I believe, 80, number 82 in Zscaler. Hmm. Spent uh, just under six years there and uh, then left, went, actually went back to Symantec for around a year and then joined Aracom uh, about a year ago. Gotcha. And so what is your day-to-day like these days? What sort of uh, things keep you busy at Aracom? Yes, we, um, I own a, a few facets uh, within the organization. So I have our solutions management team or, you know, what, what a lot of organizations would call, um, you know, sales engineering. So the folks that are out working with our customers uh, to build the, the solutions from a technical aspect and support our sales organization. I also own uh, the customer, what we call customer advocacy team, which is our customer support team uh, globally. And then I've, um, 
I've got responsibility into the product in terms of helping leading, you know, product strategy and, and everything from a technology perspective. So I work a lot with our chief product officer, our R&D teams and, and uh, the developers on products. And then um, uh, also it just recently inherited our internal IT. So now I manage, uh, you know, all of the internal IT aspects for the organization as well. Hmm. So day to day is interesting because it, it, uh, it kind of flip flops between the different, uh, the different teams. And so I do a lot of, uh, customer support and working with, uh, customers in the field, you know, to make sure that they're getting, uh, getting what they need from a solution perspective, deal with, uh, support issues. Um, so if there's, you know, some type of bug or an issue that they're dealing with in their environment, helping them try to sort that out from a technical perspective you know, escalations on support issues or what have you. And then also our internal IT quite a bit uh, keeps me running. Do you feel like having that uh, that wide view, being involved with so many different teams, does that give you better insights into uh, the things that need to be done throughout the organization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, you know, one from, uh, from a historic perspective, the, the things that I've been able to see and do with just a lot of different customer environments, I mean, it gives you a really diverse, uh, you know, view on, on how to handle things and different ways to maybe tackle um, problems, you know, with the environments. Uh, but then also, you know, just dealing with our customers and seeing things, seeing how, you know, different customers approach things differently, or it kind of opens your mind to, um, to look at things very creatively and, and open-minded. And I think we do have to do that uh, a lot of times, both in IT and then especially now in security, right? We, um, not everything is is uh, just straight out of the box. You know, you mentioned that uh, many of the lessons that you learned in your time in the military have transferred over. Can, can you uh, give us some insights there? What sort of things uh, did the military provide you with that, you, that are beneficial today? Yeah, I think uh, one just very, you know, kind of the way you look at the world, um, you know, simple things where, um, you know, sometimes the attention to detail uh, of, of something. I'll give an example. I was uh, dealing with a customer that uh, they were saying how much they've invested in their data center security and that, you know, basically they've got foolproof security right down to biometrics on the door and, you know, the eye, the, the retina scanners and all the good stuff that they've bought and, and invested in and, you know, that really no one could penetrate their data center. And I looked at the door from the inside because we were talking on the inside of their data center and they had a mail flap uh, for the mail to be dropped in the door. And that mail flap had the uh, the metal, kind of the, uh, I don't know, the angled metal piece so that no one could stick their hand in and go across, you know, right. uh, side to side. But it was kind of tipped up and down and what, what was, uh, it was angled the way to where they had the big green square button that said exit. Uh, to the side of the door. I mean, I could literally just reach in the mail flap, reach my hand over and tap the green button to open the door. Um, and so I made a bet with the, with, with the CIO of the organization that I could get into their data center. He said, uh, you know, he liked his steaks medium. And I said, I like my medium as well. He went back to his office. I, I waited about a minute and I just reached my hand through and tapped the green button. It's, it's those little details and attention to detail. I think that a lot of people just overlook and that, Military is very much uh, detail-oriented, thinking about security, like I said, both physical, logical all the time, because, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, troops you're trying to protect or information about a mission uh, that needs to be, tech- be protected. So, 
you know, I never really thought much about encryption while I was in the military because I wasn't, you know, IT or technically focused, but, you know, just the use of encryption, for instance, that we use over the radios and communications and, and yet, yet I see, you know, today some simple problems that customers could deal with by using encryption, but they haven't gone there. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I read a book, uh, I'm, I'm not much, I don't read a lot of books, but lately, uh, you know, some of the IT security books that I picked up, uh, there was one called America, the Vulnerable, and it talks about a hack uh, of our U.S. government in 2008 and the Chinese um I guess uh, you know nation state, not to not to pick on them, but they they were the guilty party on the hack on these firewalls of the U.S. government, and they the uh, NSA director at the time called out that we didn't use encryption, but yet the Chinese before they exfiltrated all the data, they encrypted it so that it couldn't be seen what they took out through the firewalls. In the time that you've been at this, and, and you've been at this a while, what what strikes you as some of the interesting evolutions you've seen? What sort of changes have you tracked over the years yeah i think uh i think it's definitely interesting uh, you know just recently we were out at the rsa conference and you know every year what i try to do is walk the floor and i think what you get from that um, one you'll learn a lot about what's going on in the industry and other vendors and what they're doing and again you know keeping an open mind to their approach but i think you see trends in the industry and they they almost go on a yearly basis right we've seen from you know, two-factor authentication a few years ago, and, uh, you know, we've gone through encryption and, you know, all the different uh, removable media and things. This year, the big thing is zero trust, and so mm -hmm. these buzzwords, and, you know, I always like to find out if it's just a buzzword or if, if somebody's really, uh, you know, really kind of sticking to that spec or that, uh, you know, standard or whatever it is that we're trying to, to, trying to achieve. Uh, zero trust seems to be the big thing this year. A lot of us are, uh, a lot of us in the security industry are talking about it, but I think, you know, it's industry, it's interesting to follow those trends, you know, but, uh, but a lot of what I see, I think, uh, you know, still we overlook something simple and that's that security needs to be part of our culture in the company. And it starts with the users, you know, and, and a lot of times we overlook simple things like just security enablement or security training of our employees. Um, you know, basic things for them to look at. You know, if you didn't ask for a password reset, but you, yet you're getting an email saying reset your password, probably want to second guess or, or take a closer look at that email. Is it a phishing attack? You know, is someone trying to, uh, to trick you into giving up some type of credentials or information? And so just getting the people to think about that and making it part of the culture, I think, is something that, you know, outside all the other tools, it's a basic thing that we should all do. And it's I can't say it's totally free, right? It probably does cost us some time, and it it also may cost us some tools to do so to test it and make sure that it's working correctly, but but most of which is free, right? We can take the time to train our employees and get them to think that way. How do you describe your own leadership style when, when you're trying to uh, have that sort of culture spread through the organization to nurture that kind of thinking? How do you go about doing that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one, it's it's – you know, trying to inspire or, or keep your people always curious to, uh, you know, think outside the box and to look at things and, and be curious about them more and not just, uh, you know, not, not get wrapped up in just clicking and, you know, being on the go all the time, um, kind of blind to what the, the content or information might be. Um, challenging people to, you know, to, to be thought leaders and kind of, uh, you know, think bigger 
Uh, so some of my leaders within the organization, right, I get them to challenge their teams. and But also, um, you know, not one of, uh, you know, a fear of, of any kind of, you know, uh, retaliation or anything from management if something bad was done. But, you know, what can we learn from it? What do we take away from different things? You know, if we did an internal test with a phishing link and somebody clicked on it, I don't want them to be afraid that they're, you know, in trouble or something. I want them to learn from it. And we go back and use that for, you know, for helping the user uh, understand a little bit more how to maybe hover over that link next time and look at what it really is taking them to. And, uh, but, but um, you know, not one, it's funny, you know, a lot of people think military background that you're going to be some kind of uh, yelling, screaming type of a leader. And I, mm. I try to inspire people, uh, um, you know, to think for themselves and be a little bit more of uh, a leader than themselves instead of just counting on everybody in the leadership team. I, I want to get your take on threat intelligence, uh, specifically uh, the role it plays in your organization and, and uh, the importance that you place on it. Yeah, I, I think it's huge um, right now to get that visibility and what I call actionable intelligence, right? To, to be able to take, uh, whether it's just threat, threat feeds uh, type of data, uh, ingest those into your organization to understand uh, the different threats. But you also have to kind of look at it from uh, what is your uh, posture either in your industry, you know, are you, is there some type of industry-specific attacks you know, what are the trends going on at the time, right? Whether it be the Olympics or right now the hot topic coronavirus, we know that, you know, anytime there's a major event like this, the, off the back end of it, there's going to be different types of attacks that are going to come, whether they're phishing attacks uh, over email right now. Hey, do you read up more about the coronavirus or, you know, those types of things. And so um, threat intel to kind of get ahead of that. And then what do you do about it? What controls do I put in place uh, around that threat intel to actually control or to protect uh, the infrastructure and the employees as much as I can? But yeah, without it, right, we, we're just kind of guessing. So that threat intel is huge that you can gain, um, gain insights from. And then, like I said, it's actionable intelligence, right? It's whether you've got workflows built to automate some of it, uh, but implementing actual controls or policies that will... Um, put you in the best posture, right, from that specific threat or threats that might come at you or your organization, your industry, and your users. As you look ahead, you're looking down the road, what sort of things do you think are headed our way? What are your expectations there? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to, to say something really cool and different there, but I, I think, you know, some of the same old tricks, and we see it time and time again, and it's, it's, um, you know, a lot of these things repeat themselves. They're cyclical. Um, you know, social engineering, right? It's something pretty simple um, to solve, but yet it happens all the time. You know, for how many years now have we seen SQL database attacks? And it's it's pretty simple to, you know, for most organizations to go fix them and do like things like input validation and whatnot to help fix them. Uh, but yet we still see things happen. Um, so I, I think you know, it's it's kind of the same. Same old tricks in a lot of ways, uh, but, you know, reinventing themselves, you know, different different types of, uh, right, we're dealing with smart individuals on the other end, so they keep rethinking on how to get it out there, how to uh, reinvent an old, old type of an attack and do it in a new way, or right now with ransomware, for instance, uh, you know, on the uptick in a lot of organizations, 
so those types of things, I think they just keep happening and it's, you know, it's the old tricks uh, over and over again. And, and, and there are, the attacks do get more and more sophisticated, um, you know, at a code level and what they do or the stealthy uh, type capabilities. I think, um, again, we have to think about, you know, where our important assets are in our organization, you know, who has access to them and then how do we protect them in the best way that we can. And then again, it, it comes down to the users. If I can trick a user into clicking on a link, right, uh, most, most situations it's game over. And so that weakest link, coming back to the user, if I've got them educated and I've got the culture right in the organization to where everyone's thinking security all the time, I'm, I'm probably in a much better place, uh, even if some new, you know, crazy attack that comes out, right? People, people have to kind of second guess and question these things as they see them come across the wire. What goes into your hiring practices when you're looking to bring someone on your team? Um, what are the things that are important to you and, and what are the things that maybe aren't as important to you? Uh, yeah, for, from an importance perspective, I mean, depending on what team uh, they'd be coming on, right? If they're in the you know, solutions management team where they're going to be engineering solutions, it's, uh, it's different. It's really a diverse uh, technical capability that I'm looking for. Um, and, and, you know, looking for someone that has very diverse backgrounds in, in the technology space, you know, whether it be networking and understanding the network stack, uh, security, servers, operating systems, right? So it's that technical skill set and knowledge of the different tools that are out there and customer environments, whatnot. Their ability to fit in the company culture, um, you know, is important. I think, uh, you know, to be part of the team, uh, culturally, it needs to be a good fit. And, uh, and, you know, understanding what their goals are, um, you know, whether it's long-term, short-term, you know, that we can uh, work together, some of their background, um, you know, what their, uh, what their work history looks like, you know, does that person uh, jump around quite a bit, um, you know, short-term everywhere, or have they you know, been somewhere for a long, long period of time? I guess I'm I'm wondering are, are things like degrees and certifications or are those uh, important factors when you're, you know, weighing whether somebody's a, a good fit? Degree is is a nice to have for me. Um, I think certifications definitely on the technical side. The team it shows. Uh, I know a lot of people are against certifications, right? They think you know it's a, a vendor's view of the world or that type of thing. But I think what it does show is that one they have the discipline to to sit down, whether they did it self-study or however they went through and learned the, uh, the content for that certification. And then the fact that they've been tested against it and they passed that test, you know, shows that they at least retained uh, some of it for that period of time to pass that test. So I, I personally like, you know, the, the certification track myself, what they do with themselves uh, outside of work, you know, if they've got a family, and, and what kind of drive the person has, really. Um, you know, I say to, to folks all the time, we have to be a student of our game. You know, as the bad guys are always trying to change their methods of attack, we can't just think that we know technology and we just stop there. We have to constantly keep learning. Um, this, this, I think that's why IT is so interesting for me, right? It's, all, it's constant puzzle solving. And we have to keep reinventing, um, you know, ourselves and, and learning more things, learning different technology as it comes out. So I, I look for somebody that's got that drive, that uh, wants to come in and be, be a sponge, be eager to learn, and that's going to uh, drive themselves to be successful. Uh, so that, that's really important to me. 
is having that drive and the work ethic. Our thanks to Nick Kale from Ericom Software for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Futures Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Monica Tadros, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.